0: inside to outside repairs to renovations get started on the angie app or visit angie.com today you can do this when you angie that this is the hash podcast stay informed with the latest on bitcoin eth the metaverse web 3 and more all on the hash for your ears You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, it's Coindesk TV. You're watching The Hash. You might be listening to us on the podcast. That's also cool. Thanks for being here. I'm Zach Seward. We got Will Foxley, Ben Schiller, and Danny Nelson today. What a lineup. We got lots to get to, and hopefully including a special guest. Danny, I'm going to throw it to you. The latest hack to grip the world of DeFi. Major update on that. What do you got?
1: Yes, we are starting off with a bang today on The Hash, talking about Curve Finance and that $61 million re-entrancy hack that happened over last weekend in which a a hacker was able to drain a bunch of different token pools because of this unknown bug in a compiler. Anyway, the DeFi protocols that have been affected, Curve, Alchemix, and Metronome, I believe, have been trying to get their money back, uh, attempting to negotiate with the hackers. And today there was a breakthrough after promising not to pursue the hackers if they return at least 90% of the funds. Uh, one of the hackers seems to have sent $10 million back to Metronome. And this is a result of some successful negotiations already. And we're starting to see that this surprising outreach campaign is actually working. So, Will, I'll start it off with you. What do you think of the situation?
2: Good news, at the very least. I mean, we like to see when people decide to give money back after these hacking situations, it's become much more common after these hacks to see at least part of the money go back. And that's often spurred for two reasons. One, the bounty, which is typically put out there as a carrot. And two, the possibility of a stick, that being like the US government or someone else coming after you and ruining your life, throwing you in jail. The last example we have of this was with Mingo Markets back in the fall, uh, where there was a a developer who hacked Mingo Markets using uh, what was actually pretty fairly like open market techniques in order to squeeze profits from the trading platform. Uh, Mango markets was essentially wrecked during it and could not operate for quite a while. And then, as uh, more information came to light, this person was found out. And that person's life is now uh, dealing with the justice department, which is not a whole great situation. But if you can go in the other way, you know, get like a ten percent bounty, give the money back, and claim to be like a white hack, or at the very least a gray hat hacker then you avoid bars. And so we've seen this quite a bit with crypto. One thing I want to pull on here is just see it's this idea of like libertarian markets, right? Where often in traditional markets if you get hacked or something goes wrong, well you can always call the cops and they can come fix your problem. It might take years, but it typically is resolved in some way if there's enough money. In the wild west of DeFi, I mean there's not often someone to call unless you know you really have a good line there. And so sometimes these hacks, they just Put up a bounty and then there's reversal hacks right where you get docs and they figure out where you are who you are what your trading strategies are and sometimes it's actually worse to not come forward and accept the bounty so i think that there's some possibility we could see this reversal here which would be amazing for the curve ecosystem might get everyone off with just a warning as opposed to a lesson but definitely positive development this morning zach
0: yeah, the whole you're alluding to the mango, the Avi Eisenberg episode, where one man's quote unquote applied game theorist is another's market manipulator. And that's sort of the essential tension of DeFi. What is off limits and what is fair game? If the code allows it, what's the problem? It's where DeFi intersects with the real world and the real legal system where you see some of these big ramifications play out on people's lives. And so I think again, the looter behind this uh incident is probably reckoning with that and reckoning with the fact that because these systems are transparent, are public, are auditable, it's really hard to get out of the bank vault with the money after you do the heist, right? It's really difficult to escape undetected and with your ill-gotten gains. So often you sort of see, again, this, this turnabout where a hacker becomes a white hat hacker after the fact when presented with a, a path for escape that may be some percentage of what was initially pilfered. And we seem to be seeing that here. I think there's a lot of stuff to talk about as this relates, again, to sort of the knock-on effects that we saw with this, with the whole uh, the, the curve crisis and the potential liquidation that Michael Agaroff was facing and all that good stuff. But as it relates to the money taken from the initial incident itself, which is not huge, again, in the history of DeFi hacks, but certainly the ramifications that played out over this past week have been notable and worth opining about. So I'll toss it to Ben in case he has any thoughts on sort of how this whole thing has unfolded.
3: Yeah, I, I don't have much to add to that. I thought you and uh, Will put it very eloquently there. Uh, I, I just think it's strange, as you say, that uh, uh, that a criminal person could go from criminal to hero uh, in, in, the, in the switch of an eye. So uh, it's fascinating uh, to watch this play out.
0: All right. Well, we'll leave it there. That's some good stuff. Uh, I think we're changing gears to our next segment. We have Miami Mayor Francis Suarez, who is now also a Republican candidate for president. Mayor Suarez, thank you for joining us. How are you doing?
4: It's great to be with you. I have a big announcement today, which is that officially my campaign is accepting Bitcoin. And you can do that by going to my website, francissuars.com, and donate as little as 0.000034 of a Bitcoin, uh, which roughly equi- you know is the equivalent of a US dollar. But of course, I denominated in Bitcoin, not in dollar. So look, I think it's a watershed moment for the country to have a candidate who gets their public sector salary paid in Bitcoin and uh, has actually borrowed money against that Bitcoin account, creating more utility for Bitcoin and showing that uh, it is an asset that has value, uh, that has utility. Um, And this is a a process uh, of developing technologies that are going to create democratizing opportunities for wealth creation and are not manipulated by uh, human beings that have ulterior motives, uh, political goals, et cetera.
0: Yeah, interesting. That's a very interesting development. Uh, Will Foxley, our resident Bitcoin maxi, was joyously celebrating said announcement. Thank as you roll. One, one BTC equals one BTC. He loved that as well. I guess my yeah. question, I'm super fascinated to see crypto, Bitcoin, CBDCs even emerge as a real talking point in the 2024 elections. CBDCs specifically, I think especially in Florida with Governor DeSantis, have become a major lightning rod. I really want your thoughts on why Bitcoin, crypto, CBDCs, are entering the political calculus for this cycle's presidential race?
4: It's really simple. It's because under Bidenomics, the poor are getting poor, And that means uh, rising uh, inflation and rising interest rates because there's out-of-control spending. There's no check and balance on the monetary system. What happens is the federal government goes crazy, starts giving away free money. And then the Fed, which sees rising inflation, which means that people's purchasing power goes down, literally, if you have money in your bank account, you literally get poorer. And then on the other side, they say, hey, we got to stop this. So they start raising interest rates. So now you get hit by both sides. Your purchasing power and the money you have in your bank account goes down, and then your borrowing costs go up. So you're literally getting attacked by both sides of the ledger. And, and, and that makes people want to hedge and get away from that to a system that isn't controlled by politics, uh, that is completely decentralized, that is completely secure, completely liquid. You can get in and out of it at any time of the day. Um, and, and that's why you've seen, uh, you know, Bitcoins run. Uh, This year, uh, which it's up, you know, significantly from the beginning of the year. So, look again, and I don't, you know, I'm not here to give investment advice. I'm not telling people what to do. But what I am saying is, look at the fundamentals of how the system works, right? Do your due diligence, and I think that, you know, that bodes well for a system. Which, by the way, to me, from my perspective, I'm not afraid of that world, right? Because the U.S. should be judged on their economic might. And we are economically mighty when we have a strong economy, when we don't have a bunch of deficits. Uh, you saw today a Brazil talking about, Lula talking about de-dollarizing, right? I mean, this, this de-dollarization campaign is happening worldwide. And so we're going to have to compete in a different way. We're going to have to compete not because we're the world's greatest currency, but because we're the world's greatest economy. And I think that's, if we focus on the digital economy, right? Artificial intelligence, quantum computing, virtual reality, obviously crypto, all these things. We're going to create a generation's worth of prosperity. We did it in Miami. We're number one in wage growth, lowest unemployment in America, hi- highest tech job growth, and highest Gen Z tech worker growth. Right. So why? Because we want to lean into you know, these, these generational opportunities. By the way, I've taken a lot of heat for it. I've gotten criticized a lot uh, for it. Uh, people will often say, "Oh, we we're in a crypto winter." You know, what do you think? You know, uh, do you regret supporting crypto? And I say, absolutely not. We were number one in blockchain investments. We were up 2,000%. We had $800 million of investments in in blockchain companies. But in addition to that, I know that these are technologies that are here to stay. One company versus another may win or may lose, but the technology is here to stay, and it's going to uh, revolutionize the future.
0: The Miami coin episode versus your personal conviction in Bitcoin, which is something we can maybe get to a bit later. Thanks for unpacking some of those red meat issues. Obviously, to the Republican base seems pretty animated by this stuff. I want to toss it to Danny. I know he has a question, and then we can uh, continue the conversation.
1: Uh, yeah, Mayor Suarez, thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm curious to hear how, if you're elected president, you would change how the system works in the U.S. when it comes to crypto policy. Like, what is your vision for the crypto economy in the United States, and what could you do to change yeah. it to better it? What's your vision?
4: I think the biggest mistake this administration has made is that they don't understand crypto. So they have uh, gone to a regulate-by-enforcement- mechanism as opposed to, in my opinion, set the ground rules. Right. So you have to be able to classify certain digital products. Uh, you have to be able to have certain guidelines and rules that are clear with respect to custody of assets. And And by the way, the players in the game will tell you they want rules. They just want to know what the rules are so they can play by the rules. A lot of these offshore companies should have been American and onshore companies. It's a tremendous opportunity for us uh, to bring investment to our country. Um, so for me on day one, uh, I would create an industry roundtable and, and create a set of regulations that, are a, that don't advantage anybody, right? That they're not meant to advantage anybody. What they're meant to do is make sure that you can create an innovative ecosystem and, uh, and uh, economy based on these products where everybody knows what the rules are, clearly.
3: Yes, uh, Maris Suarez. Um, so Ron DeSantis, the governor of Ron DeSantis, has said he would uh, ban a digital dollar or CBDC if he's elected president. Would you do the same?
4: Oh, yeah. I mean That's easy. Of course. I mean, that, that, you know, that's an easy position to take. Uh, I think the harder position is, is, to, is to find out what are you for in terms of Bitcoin and in terms of, you know, other uh, technologies related to blockchain. Right. But I I think banning CDBCs, central bank digital currencies, is easy. Nobody wants the federal government or any government knowing where you have your money, how much money you have, et cetera. It's a violation of our our rights of privacy, Uh, and I don't think anybody wants that. So I think that's a very easy position to take. I don't think that there's anything particularly innovative about that. Um, But but certainly, I have never been a fan of, of, of central bank digital currencies. Yeah,
2: I'll jump in here for one last question, just going towards the Bitcoin angle. There's a lot of talk among other uh, Republican candidates for president talking about their different policy opinions on Bitcoin. At this point, I'm just sort of curious if it's just a talking point, again, that we typically see in the run-up to elections, or are we actually moving past that towards where Bitcoin's an important discussion point for, for candidates for policy reasons?
4: I think people are starting to realize how many enthusiasts there are. How big the ecosystem is. And 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 look, nothing motivates politicians more than voters, right? And votes. And certainly uh, when you start to see that the ecosystem is large enough, I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it is when you see how poorly our monetary system has been managed, right? And the stability of the current Bitcoin infrastructure and how it's been stable versus you know vis-a-vis liquidity stable vis-a-vis hacking, stable vis-a-vis policy, because you know the creation, you know, having schedule, you know, how it's, you know, inflation, sort of inflationary uh, creation of money uh, or Bitcoin. And you also know that it's asymptotic, right, that it's going to get to 21 million and then that's it. There's not going to be any more issue. And it's, you know, highly divisible. Uh, I just talked about, uh, you know, contributing 0.000034 Bitcoin, right? So it's a highly divisible asset. So I I think there's so many strengths uh, and, you know, uh, it's gotten to a point where you can't put the genie back in the bottle. I was just reading an article today about how China uh, is banning Bitcoin, but yet that there's, you know, millions and billions of dollars of Bitcoin transactions that are happening.
0: One last question. We'll sneak in uh, just for your personal take. You know, FTX saga is unfolding. We have the Coinbase uh, sparring with the SEC, a Ripple Labs judgment. Very much uh, many things going on in the regulatory sphere. Specifically I'm gonna ask you about FTX, right? FTX Arena was a visible part of the Miami scene for a while there before FTX wound down and uh was alleged to be a massive fraud. What are your comments on FTX and what yeah. do you hope to see happen to SBF?
4: Look, I think uh what happened there was you had a, a, a good technology, right? Insofar as uh you had an exchange. And then unfortunately they took the custodial assets and started gambling with it. That's what it appears uh, to be. And that's the problem. Like, you can't do that in a bank right now, right? You can't just take people's money and start betting it in high-yield instruments. And they fooled a lot of people. I mean, you know, a lot of people which were very sophisticated investors, uh, you see their their um, their investor deck full of that, the, the most sophisticated investors in the world were fooled. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, it, it appears that uh, that fraud occurred in terms of uh, what was being done with these custodial assets. And, and listen, when something like that happens at that massive scale, um, people have to be held accountable.
0: Well, thank you for joining us, Mayor. That's Mayor Francis Suarez of Miami, also a Republican presidential candidate in the 2024 race. Thanks so much for your time.
4: Thanks, guys. Good to talk to you.
3: So I have some news about an old uh, CoinDesk favorite, that's Sam um, Bankman fried uh, He's his disgraced uh, ex-CEO of FTX, of course. And the headline from our story uh, yesterday was Sam Bankman-Fried faces jail time as Justice Department pushes for incarceration. And the background here is that the Department of Justice, which is prosecuting S- SBF, is accusing him of improperly influencing witnesses in the case, particularly Caroline Ellison. That's the former CEO of Alameda Research, which was part of the FTX empire. Uh, and this relates to a story in the New York Times recently uh, publishing Ellison's private diary, which uh, SBF's defense team isn't denying came from him Uh, and basically the DOJ says that this leak amounts to more than fair comment uh, to the media in this case and was an attempt to discredit that witness and now the DOJ is asking um, the court to send SBF to jail and this isn't the first time the DOJ has accused SBF of doing this, of trying to influence witnesses and uh, it seems uh, this is continuation of SBF Singing like a canary uh, when everyone says he should just be quiet, uh, and he just can't seem to stop intervening in this case. So, uh, what do you think, guys?
0: This is not just any witness, Ben. This is reportedly an ex flame of SBF. So, there is something certainly a bit Machiavellian here that uh, adds another degree of richness to this unending saga. So, gotta say it, you know, based on some reporting from Tracy Wong and Coindesk first getting that story out into the world, that there was some personal relationships in addition to the business relationships that defined the FTX and Alameda connectedness, I guess, in this instance. So um, yeah, certainly, you know, the judge here, I think, is going to have an interesting choice to make, right? Does Sam Beckman-Fried have the ability to communicate with the press? Or should this be seen as a step too far? And should, you know, subsequent action as it relates to his bail bond, all that stuff uh, be taken? And that's really what it comes down to, uh, whether or not, you know, th- this is um, another in a long line of uh, actions that suggest that, hey, maybe home confinement is not the appropriate punishment in the immediate term leading up to this October trial that everyone is waiting for. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a tough decision, tough call. You're going to be curious to see which, uh, which side the judge lands on. But, yeah, Will, what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, part of me just wants to not hear about this story anymore. And for one reason only. And that's because there's always something more interesting happening day after day. And we just kind of see it as it passes by us, right? Instead, I'd love to wait until the ending and get it all rolled out by some awesome director who can just put this story together for us, as opposed to just kind of covering it in bits bits and pieces as it comes out. Because this is really juicy stuff, right? Like we have two lovers, we have someone stuck at home in their parents' basement. Uh, might be going to jail. He was extradited from the Bahamas. They ran one of the biggest uh, exchanges in crypto. I mean, there's lots of great pieces here. We talk about this time and time again, but every time we talk about it, there's like a little nugget that we add to the story a little bit here and there. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm just waiting for all that to happen. I kind of want to gloss over till we get there. But unfortunately, that's not what we do. You know? We cover the news. So, Danny?
1: Yeah. Now, who would you cast as Sam in this movie? I think, that, I, I think that I would ask Timothy Chalamet to be a character actor, gain a lot of weight. <laughs> I think he's perfect for the role. What about mm-hmm. you? What do you think?
2: Jonah Hill is a, a solid choice for someone there. That's my Ooh, take. I like that. For multiple I like reasons. That.
1: Yeah. On a more serious note, it, like, the thing that I can't get away from on this case is this guy just cannot shut up. I think there was a statistic out there. He's made a thousand calls to uh, lawyers in the past few months. All, uh, no, I'm sorry, not to lawyers. He's made more than 1,000 lawyers. He's made 1,000 calls to journalists, not me, unfortunately, in the past few months, um, all trying to shape the narrative. And it's well established in the courts that defendants do have the right to talk to the press about themselves. It's definitely not advisable from a, a legal, legally-wise perspective, but it is allowed under the First Amendment to talk about your case and yourself. What's not allowed, the, the feds are saying, is trying to influence, influence witnesses and corrupt the state of play. And that is what Sam is alleged of having done here. Uh, and that is why he could face jail time before it's prison time. So, you know, that's something to think about.
0: All right. That's it for the show today. Thanks for watching The Hash. Thanks for tuning in for the Mayor Francis Suarez interview in which some news was made. Good stuff. Way to go, Ben. All right. It's Ben Schiller, Will Foxley, Danny Nelson. I'm Zach Seward. We're The Hash. We'll see you later. Bye.